I'm out of Acts. If you come regularly, you know we're preaching through Acts. And here's something I want you to take home with you today. And that is that God does the impossible for our benefit. God does the impossible for our benefit. I mean, it's kind of crazy because God has the right because he created everything. Uh, all we ever owed him was absolute obedience and allegiance. And yet man rebelled and ran away from him. He could have destroyed all of man for all time and been just in doing so. Uh, we, we sang that in one of the hymns. Uh, in one of the songs we sang, the Father's wrath completely satisfied. He did that in Christ. And he'd have been right to do that. But instead, he did this miraculous thing. And we tend to think, just, this is my judgment. I, I, I could be wrong about this. But, but I think that many times, especially if you grow up in church, uh, or you've been around this story, you think of Jesus' birth like a God going, oh, let's do this. And, and he came, almost like a surprise. But the Bible says that Jesus is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. In fact, Colossians 1 lets us know that Jesus thought up all of this. He thought up the universe. He thought up mankind. And from his vantage point of before time began, he knew that if he went through with it, that man would sin and that the only way for us to be saved is that he would have to come and be a sacrifice on the cross for us. And the Bible says that he did it anyway. He made us. He created us. Colossians 1 said, not only think about it, he's the agent, that, he's the one who did it. And then it says in Colossians that by his power, he holds it all together. And then we go to Peter, and one day Peter says, he's going to give the word, and the, it's going to be released. And all the elements, everything physical you see, is going to melt away with a fervent heat. He's going to take this universe out of it. And that's what you call that is a nuclear explosion, but every particle, every atom in all the known universe will explode at one time. And we'll get to watch that. It's sort of like a July 4th fireworks show, only better. And then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth and a new, new universe, new creation. And nothing will be touched by sin because he will have eliminated it totally. Amen? So that little baby was born in Bethlehem. That's who we're talking about. He's the one who did all that, is going to do all that. And so I want you to see some of this, uh, these things. So I've got a lot of verses. And, and, and I, I, this started with thinking about, hey, I'll talk about the prophecies of the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled them. Well, there's over 300, at least, prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. And there was a man who figured out how to statistically talk about that. If a man could fulfill a certain number of prophecies... So he said, if there, you had all these prophecies hundreds of years before man, uh, before that person that it's talking about got here in the time period of Jesus. And, the, and Jesus fulfilled eight of them. There's over 300, so you got to stick with me. Eight is one that I could, might be able to describe so you, at least you can get a handle on it. If one guy is predicted hundreds of years in advance, a bunch of prophecies, and he fulfills eight of them, Here's what that looks like odd-wise. It's 1 and 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you want to know what 10 to the 17th power looks like, take the state, the state of Texas. Please. No, I'm kidding. Um, take the state of Texas. I love the state. Take the state of Texas and bury it in silver dollars knee-deep. Take one silver dollar, put, get out your permanent Sharpie, put an X on it, and have, you know, the Jolly Green Giant throw it out in the middle of there. Then blindfold Pastor Andy, throw him in the middle of it, and the chances of him, pick the first coin he picks up is the one with the black check on it. That's one 
to 10 and the 17th power. And that's eight prophecies out of 300. And he fulfilled all of them. You see, the statistical pro- pro- probability that Jesus is not God, that, that he is not the Son of God, he didn't come at the will of God, and he's not the Messiah, is statistically impossible. Now, to quote the, 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 the great theologian in Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, well, maybe. But statistically, it's impossible, okay? You with me so far? I'm really dry, y'all. I'm sorry, I'm thirsty, very bad. So I'm going to have to drink a lot. So anyway... The first thing I want to talk about is in the past. He was born of a virgin. Now, I want to talk about that, but I want to tell you what that means for us. But first, you got to understand it. So if you got your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 7. I don't want you to think I'm just going to make all this stuff up because I try not, you know, well, I don't try not to do that. I don't do that, I hope. Um, but Isaiah seven fourteen. by the way, if you think I made something up, challenge me on that because I want to be correct and I don't want to lead you in error. And Isaiah seven fourteen. You see, we, we've got a problem, and, and you'll, you might catch it as I read it. Uh, and so we won't stand up and read a whole lot of Scripture. But listen to what Isaiah seven fourteen says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, in the verses before, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as Deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. That's as deep as hell or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary God also? When God says, test me, you don't say, oh no, I'm too scared to do that. I mean, you know, Pastor Andy was trying to figure out the initials SSC. I said under my breath, I'm scared to call him a name. I just say, you know. Our, our great senior saints, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm worried, you know, I don't want to mess that up. And, and that's what Ahaz is like, man, I don't want, I don't want, you know, I don't know, no, no, not me. And God says, really? Is it enough that you make the nation of Israel tired? You're going to try to make God tired? Okay, fine. I'll give you a sign. And he says, verse 14, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, if you keep reading after 14, it talks about that little boy before he knows good from evil and that their enemies will be, uh, will be uh, put down, that, that, that they'll be delivered and all. It says uh, in verse 16, For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land who, uh, and uh, the two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring it upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house. Such days have not come since the days of Ephraim that departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So God makes him a promise. He's talking about Isaiah's son. How in the world do we apply that to Jesus? Well, the way we do that is because the Bible applies it to Jesus. Here's a little, because uh, I asked this question back in the day when I was first learning all this stuff. And I want to tell you the question and the answer. How do we know when the Old Testament is talking about Jesus? And, and, and here's the answer. When the New Testament tells us it was. Because those people were especially prepared by God. Those apostles were especially prepared to understand. And Jesus himself and angels and others would say that. Hey, that's so this that was said about him would happen. Because it's a phrase out of the middle of a different story. And here's, here's a question that might now be in your mind and might bother you. How's Isaiah's wife a virgin? Okay. Go to Matthew 1. I'll show you where the Bible talks about this. 
And then I'll tell you the answer to that little conundrum. And in Matthew 1 and verse 22 and 23 is where Joseph finds out that his fiance is going to have a baby and he knows what kind of man he's been. And he goes, no, I don't think so, Tim. I'm, I'm not going to marry her. And so in Matthew 1 and verse 22 and 23, here's what the Bible says. The angel says, she will bear a son in 21 and you shall call his name Jesus for to save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's the deal. In the old, this Bible that we hold is a translation of a different language. It's an English translation, actually of three different languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Aramaic's a form of Hebrew. And so, the Old Testament's mostly in Hebrew. The New Testament's mostly in Greek. Uh, at least the, the, the final versions of the books we got were written in Greek. And Hebrew, words can mean a couple of things. Just like in, in English. R-E-A-D can mean read or read, right? So that's why when somebody's this in their native country, they go, what? You know, when they're trying to learn English, because it doesn't quite make sense sometimes. We have a lot of words like that that look the same, sound the same, can mean a lot of different things. Well, the Hebrew language is like that. And that word in Hebrew is Alma, A-L-M-A-H, Alma. And Alma means a young woman 1% of the time. 99% of the time means a virgin. So if a young lady gets married and you see her a month later, she could still be Alma, a young woman. Especially, you know, a, a girl following God's laws. You know, nothing, nothing bad there. She's a pure woman, even though physically, technically, she's no longer a virgin as we'd understand it. We come to the New Testament, Matthew 1. The word is Parthenos. Right, the temple to the Vestal Virgins. It only means one thing, virgin. When you see the word, it never means young woman. It means someone who's not physically had relationships with another, period. And that's all it means. So the New Testament translates the Old Testament to us and says, yeah, that was talking about Isaiah, and we call that a double prophecy. He's talking about Isaiah, but he's also talking about the Messiah. That happens a lot in the Bible. Again, how do you know? You've got to read the New Testament because it interprets the Old Testament for us. Amen? Y'all with me do this. And so that's what's going on here. And so, so what we have here is, is a prophecy that predicts that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. I mean, Mary had that question, you know. She was a little bit, uh, uh, Lord, I got, I got a question here about that. Because why, what does that do for us today? Without Jesus being born of a virgin, we cannot be saved. There's two things in Christianity, if you could disprove either one of them, we'd pack up and go home. I'm telling you, I would desert all my books in my library. I'd pretend like I never learned anything about the Bible or God if you could disprove one of these two things. And I would do whatever in the world I felt like doing. And here are the two things. The virgin birth, which nobody can prove or disprove today because we don't have the body, we weren't there. You'd have to have a medical science with medical knowledge beforehand to say what had happened there. So that's an impossible thing to disprove. And second, it's the resurrection. And every Easter, they publish story after story after story. And if you look in history, you see that Satan has always tried to disprove one of these two things. Even in Jesus' life, the Pharisees look down and says, well, our father is Abraham, but we don't know who your daddy is. That's in the New Testament. 
There are a lot of horrible things said about Mary and about the birth of Christ in history. The Bible tells us she was a virgin. Joseph believed she was a virgin, and it was his fiance. In fact, at first he didn't believe it, and he got convinced. And so the angel who spoke to him convinced him. And if Joseph could be convinced, when he, the Bible tells what he was already going to do, and he changed his mind and didn't do it and became the physical father of Christ, the adopted father, I guess you could say, then I'll believe it. I'm going off Joseph's testimony here. You follow me? God said it. Joseph agreed with it. And the Bible says it. But why do I say that you, we could not be saved without the virgin birth? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus had no inherited sin. When I was born, July 21st, 1959, at 5.18 in the morning, weighing 8.15, 21 inches long, red hair, brown eyes, cutest baby you ever saw. <laughs> Just kidding. My babies were cuter than that me, but anyway. And their babies are cuter than them. But, no, when I was born, I was born sinful. The Bible says in, Isaiah, in, in Psalm that in sin I was conceived. In other words, from the very beginning, not that my parents sinned, but from the very beginning, I was conceived in sin. It was just part of who I am. You see, when Adam sinned, he passed sin to every man. This is all in Romans 5, a great book, that, a great chapter of a great book. You ought to read that chapter. In fact, I would encourage you to memorize it. It explains all this stuff. That, that in Adam, all sin and all have died. And, and, and that, that sin nature is passed to Adam's son and his son and then his son and then his son. Until one day in Charleston in 1959, I was born. It was passed to me. And it comes through the Father. By the way, just last week I read a scientific article that they have proven through DNA testing that all people came from one couple. They've proven that before, and they'll ignore it again like they did last time. But I'm just telling you, it's back out there again. That we all came from one couple. They thought they were monkeys probably, but they weren't. They were created human beings, smarter, better looking, and bigger, and pro- I mean, in, in better condition than we are. And Adam was born without, was created without sin, but he sinned. He blew it. He messed up. He had the opportunity to be the figurative head of the human race. And if he had not sinned, everybody born to Adam and Eve would have been born without sin. I mean, for goodness sake, they were so innocent. They didn't know they were naked. I mean, there's a man and wife standing there and they don't even realize they don't have any clothes. They didn't need them because the conditions on earth were so perfect back then. That gets into the flood and all that. We don't have time for that. But... But they were so perfect, they didn't need clothes. I mean, (laughs) thankfully, nobody here today showed up without clothes. Praise God. (laughs) Keep up the good work, by the way. (laughs) I mean, the only person that, that seems to not care is like a toddler right after their bath. Yeah! They come running through the house, right? Why? Because they don't know yet good from evil even though they have a sin nature they don't know good from evil they just know they're 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 responding to their stimuli and so we are born with a sin nature and we got it from from daddy adam jesus did not have a sin nature now i I need to pause a minute and explain that because the sin the bible tells us is passed through the blood and is passed through the man and we get our blood type from our daddy I think I mentioned this and explained this before pretty recently, but in the context of the sermon, I need to go back over it. And, and in, in the umbilical cord, there, 
there's a wall that separates the mama's blood from the baby's blood. And if you need me to get more scientific than that, that would be a struggle for me. So, so y'all can read on it. But, but I know that, that there's a, a tissue, a wall of tissue in the umbilical cord that separates the baby's blood and the mama's blood. And it allows oxygen and nutrition of some sort to pass through that wall. But there's no particle of the blood big enough to get, or small enough to get through that wall. And so the blood of the baby and the mama never mix. And in fact, if it does, it'll kill the baby. Because they may have different blood types even. Because the blood type comes from daddy. Where did Jesus get his blood? Mary's sitting there in Luke 1, minding her own business. In Luke 1, 31 to 35, she has the same question you have. How does that work? I mean, that's kind of crazy. Some, some uh, skeptic one time said, are you telling me if you were down at the emergency room and a young woman came in in labor and said, who's the father? And said, I, it doesn't have a father. God's his father and, and I'm a virgin. Would you believe him? Well, it would if it had been predicted 500 years in advance. <laughs> and it happened exactly like the Bible, where he would be born, when he'd be born, to whom he'd be born, who would be his, his ancestors, the whole nine yards, and all that got fulfilled. And I told you, just eight of those makes a one in 10 by to the 17th power chance that that would even happen. And he fulfilled all of them. And in, so in, in chapter 1 of Luke, in verse uh, 31, uh, Gabriel just finished telling her, Oh, you're going to have a baby. Verse 26, the six-month angel Gabriel sent from God. Six months is her cousins Elizabeth, six months of being pregnant with John the Baptist. Uh, uh, to Galilee, uh, 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 to, uh, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. I got some folks that live in Nazareth now, and they're on Hanukkah break. Isn't that weird sounding? <laughs> they're on Hanukkah break. And then they, she said, when... When Hanukkah's over at the end of the week, they're going to decorate for Christmas because, after all, they're living in Jesus' hometown. Kind of cool, isn't it? To a virgin betrothed to a man. There's that word again, Parthenos. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God, and behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary asked what you ought to be asking. Uh, excuse me, how's that going to happen? Are you, what are you talking about? Am I going to marry Joseph and all this is going to happen? What were you saying? I'm a virgin. What's going, what, what do you mean? And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then he goes on to give her the evidences to prove that what he said was true. So Mary, who had never had a physical relationship with a man, suddenly finds herself pregnant. That's what we're talking about. Jesus did not have the blood of a human man to tame him, but the God who created blood and created humans used Mary's egg and somehow put Jesus in Mary's womb. That's where we are. Without that, you can't be saved. Here's why. Because he would have had a sin nature of his own. He would have had to die for his own sin. 
The Bible tells us in Hebrews that the priests in the Old Testament had to constantly be offering a sacrifice for themselves before they could offer it for everybody else. They, they offered for the sins. You know, if I had to offer a sacrifice for the sins of this congregation, first thing I'd have to do is go in and present an offering for my sin and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I got sin. Okay, we're good. All right, now let me offer a sacrifice for everybody else. That's how that worked. And the Bible tells in the book of Hebrews, that's why I didn't cleanse their conscience, because it was just a thing saying, we know we're a sinner, we're sorry, here's something to say we're sorry, and God says, okay, I'll send a perfect sacrifice to you, and his name will be Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sin. He was born without a sin nature, now he's got the same option that Adam had, and that is, will I choose to obey the will of God or not? And we could... I could spend another 30 minutes talking about the nature of that temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Same three temptations that Jesus faced Satan with are the same three that Adam faced in the garden. And Adam failed everyone, and Jesus passed everyone. And because he was a man, he could die for man's sin. But he was the perfect sacrifice. He didn't have his own sin to die for. And so we sang this in, in Corinthians. It says, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus had no sin, but he took all of our sin, and he became our sin. It didn't that he took the, uh, uh, you know, it's always funny when, when there's this really bad thing that happens in an organization, a, a, a sporting event, a politician, whatever, and the guy in charge goes, I take full responsibility. No, you don't. You didn't do it. You, you can't take responsibility because... Jesus didn't just go, listen, I'll just die for everybody. And No, it says he became sin. He became disobedience. He became addiction. He became foulness and every perversion and every dirty sin that ever been committed in this whole world. He became that on the cross and he put it to death and then rose from the dead victorious over it. I think I deserve more than one amen. I don't know about you. Thank you, bro. That was your cue. Thank you. And so he trades his sinlessness for our sinfulness, and he gives us his righteousness, and we walk free in him. His righteousness is given us. So when I go to, before the throne, I go, hey, God, I've been doing pretty good lately, so I thought I'd talk to you. No, I go before God in humility and say, God, thank you. As we were singing that song, thank you that his, his wrath was satisfied in Christ and Jesus paid the price and by his name, I step into your presence for that's the only way I can come in. And he told me I could do that, thank God. Well, secondly, in the present, he's the son of man. In Isaiah, chat, I mean not Isaiah, in Daniel chapter seven, uh, Daniel is a little further to the right from Isaiah. If you found Isaiah earlier, keep going to the right. But it's the last of the, of the big books of the prophets preaching. And in Daniel 7, here's what Daniel saw and, and relates to us in verses 13 and 14. He says there, I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Listen to what it, how it describes the Messiah. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This passage describes the Messiah as the son of man. And then that second part talks about the ultimate victory that the Messiah would have. And amongst the Jewish people, they believe, and still do, 
that the Messiah will conquer their political enemies the first time. They believe it in Jesus' day, they believe it today. I looked at a film this week sent to me by uh, a friend of mine uh, that, that was interviewing, illegally by the way, Jewish people living in the Gaza Strip, which is where the Philistines used to live and where the people that lob bombs into Israel all the time are throwing them from, is out of Gaza. And so they're telling these, this Jewish couple, and they're a young couple, and they are saying, we don't care. This is God's land, and he gave it to us. We are the people supposed to live here. I mean, they were just very, we don't care. They come to our door, try to kick us, we'll do something. I mean, it was pretty violent what they were saying. They said, you know, we'll get along so they don't bother us. They bother us. This is our land because God gave it to us. And then she said two things that blew me away. She said, and this will all happen when we build the temple. And then she said, and then we will be a light to the Gentiles. Wow. That's amazing. We're going to see that in just a second. That he's light to the whole world. He came as the son of man. We always knew Jesus, the Messiah, would be a son of man. If you look in, in the book of Acts, we've already shown a new, one New Testament fulfillment of this. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 56, Stephen is being stoned and he looks up and he says, um, sorry, let me turn to the right page. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God, And that's when it says, and then they cried out with a loud voice. They got angry because he'd been talking about Jesus, the one that they put to death. And he says, I see him as the son of man. He gave him the title of Messiah. And that's when they really tore into him and killed him. If he was not a man, and here's what it means for us, he could not have died for man's sins. God can't die for man's sins. He had to come and be a man, live that perfect life that we were talking about so that he could die for our sins. So that he could be a worthy sacrifice for us. And that's one, one thing that is important about him being the son of man. If he was just God, and by the way, Jesus was never anything less than God, but he was never anything more than man. Because everything he did in this life, he did as a spirit-filled man. He did it, I mean, and that's pretty amazing because he raised the dead. He fed multitudes of people with a few pieces of bread and some fish. Not a lot. I mean, he didn't get a big order. He just had like, you know, two loaves and five fish, and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children until they were stuffed and had 12 baskets left over. And he did that as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. When we read that, we go, well, of course he knew that. He's God. He didn't do anything as God. Everything he did, he did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. So not only do we, do we have a, God, a, a Savior who cannot be touched with our infirmities, he can be touched with our infirmities. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be frustrated. He knows what it's like to be despised and abused and, and ill thought of and misunderstood, yet without sin. Totally without sin. And so when we go to him, you won't say, oh Lord, you don't know, man. That, man, my friends, they call me a bad name. or It's just tough, you know, being married or being a parent or my boss or my employee or whatever. You start complaining, Jesus goes, really? Let me tell you about my life. Because he suffered all of that for us. And he went through worse than we'll ever go through for our sins. So we'd just be frustrated if he was just God. Well, then we'd say, well, what can we do? I mean, he was God, so what, you know, what do you expect of me? I can't do that. No, 
you can do that. Because when Jesus died and rose from the dead, the Bible says in Acts 2 that he poured the Holy Spirit out on us so that we could do the same things that Jesus did. So that we could, that we could live out a, a powerful life in him or greater than these, Jesus said. You do. You, do you understand that you can talk to somebody about Christ and they will receive Christ? And, and, and they could be the worst derelict in the world and God will totally change them and make them a saint and change their lives. That's the greatest miracle that's ever happened and it can happen today even for you if you don't know him. He sympathizes with our afflictions and everything he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, we can live that way. Later on, Paul wrote these words that we hold in these clay vessels the eternal weight of glory. God lives in a clay pot called your body. And one day when that becomes so overwhelming, we die physically and go to heaven. I've already died. I'm, not, I'm never going to die, by the way. I'm just going to fall asleep and wake up in heaven. That's what the Bible says. If you're born once, you die twice. You die physically and spiritually. But if you're born twice, born physically and spiritually, you don't have to die once. And that's just physically because I've already died. I'm already a new creation in Christ and I just live in the wrong place now. <laughs> I'm an alien and stranger, it says in Peter, in this world. This is not my home. This is a weird place. Nobody here follows God. Nobody seeks after God. In heaven, that's all you do is seek God and seek his will. We live in an alien place. We are strangers and aliens sent to be ambassadors to a foreign country to tell them about the king who wants them to come to his kingdom. Which is the last point I'd like to make in the future. Jesus is the light of the world. I've already said it. Isaiah chapter 9 uh, uh, lets us in uh, on this. In Isaiah 9, and I, and I tell you that Jewish lady said that in that film I saw, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. For the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the last time he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And then again in Isaiah 42 1 through 9, and I, I am going to read all those verses just so you hear what God says to his prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He'll bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am Yahweh. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for my people a light to the nations. Goyim, the nations, the Gentiles. That's the word in Hebrew. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out 
the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Talking about spiritual darkness, being lost. I am Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And God said that 500 years before Jesus was born. Predicting the Messiah coming and being the light of the world. The Messiah was never meant to be a savior only for the Jews. He was meant to be a savior for all mankind. Back in Genesis 12, 3, when God called Abraham, he said, I will bless you and through you I will bless all the nations of the world. And that was through Christ. In Matthew 12, uh, there's the fulfillment. In Luke 2, the fulfillment. I got a bunch of verses written down. We, we don't even have time to get to them. Look on the app. You can get all the verses from the app. The Messiah was never meant to be a savior only for the Jews. God is the creator of all men, but he's father only of those he saves. Only those who come to know, Christ, know God through Christ can claim the name of children, of child of God. Again, John 1, 12, we'll look at that in three weeks from now. And so God wants to bring all men into one kingdom. See, we have this idea that if you're born physically a Jew, you've got a special favor. And indeed, Paul says, yeah, there's an advantage to being a Jew. But he also said this in Romans 2 in the last few verses. But he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, circumcisions of the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, who circumcisions of the heart. In other words, when you come to Christ, you become a chosen person of God. Well, I can tell y'all are excited about that. I mean, come on. I am a chosen, blessed person of God. The creator of all things died for me so that I could know God as Father. And he's a light to the Gentiles. He's a light to me. He's a light to all the world. So, what can you do about all that? Live in righteousness that Jesus bought for you. you. You can't be good enough. I can't be good enough. None of us can be good enough. I mean, I, I would not be high on the list. If we voted who you think the most righteous person in this building is, I would be way down low on that list. Paul, the apostle, greatest Christian that ever lived, said, I'm the chief of sinners. The more you know God, the more you realize how needy you are of God. I don't have anything to bring to him. I only receive from him his righteousness. And so I need to live in his power, not in my own. I don't need to try to be better. I need to let him be better through me. I need to let him do his work in my life. We read it in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We like to quote it. It says, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. Which also applies to walk in the Holy Spirit as Jesus did. That'd be another thing you ought to do. Jesus did that as an example to us. When you go, well, Jesus, you did that because you're God. He goes, no, I didn't. I did that as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit that filled me lives in you. And you think I'm making that up. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then. In other words, the spirit through which that lived in Jesus, that rose him from the dead, now lives in us. He's not on us. He's in us. In the Old Testament, he would come on men and special needs and special times. And now the Holy Spirit walks with us and talks with us and, and leads us to the truth of God's word, leads us in what we ought to do, shows us his way through his word. And so we need to know that. And then thirdly, tell at least one person about Christ. 
Tell at least one person this week about Jesus. I mean, it's the Christmas season. It's easy, right? All you have to do is celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Man, what's Christmas mean to you? What do you think we're celebrating? How do you celebrate? You can ask them any question like that. I mean, just get them talking about it. You say, how do I get them talking? You ask them a question. Now, if they look at you and, like, turn away, you gotta, maybe you've got to be even nicer. But I, I guarantee you, you talk to somebody about Christmas, they, they might brighten up a little bit. And they'll start a conversation with you. Oh, well, I just like, and they'll name a bunch of stuff. And if you realize that they don't really know what the real reason for Christmas is, say, yeah, I know, I love Christmas because it was when Jesus was born. And, I mean, think about it. He was God who put on a body and lived with us. What? I mean, that, we don't usually say it that way, do we? Because it's just kind of a story we've heard, and we think it's a story. God put on an Adam suit and moved into our neighborhood. That's what this means. So tell somebody. And don't think you got a long time to do that. Or they got a long time. You say, well, I'll try to. I don't know. I'll get to it. This weekend, my wife and I had to go to South Carolina. Her cousin died. He was two years older than me. I'm 59. He's 60. He was 61. Uh, just before Thanksgiving, he... He has a farm and all this, and he has, he has chemicals to kill plants that you got to have a license to have. And, he want, and they were going to kill some plants in their, guard, in their like flower garden or something one last time before winter. And that poison got poured into a Coke bottle, and it was sitting on the counter. And he, the next morning when he got he took some pills and grabbed that and took a sip, and as soon as it hit his mouth, he said, really, he spit it out, but it was too late. So he lived a couple weeks, and he died this past week. 61 years old, didn't know. We got back about 11 last night. We were thinking about a bunch of this stuff. Death is kind of on my mind. It reminds me once again that Hey, I don't have a lot, a lot of time. Jesus was born of a virgin so I could be saved. By the way, Mary was not immaculate. She was not sinless. She was a sinner. Eight days after his birth, she had to go offer a sacrifice for her sin. He lived in the Spirit, so can I. He's a light to the world, and he said he lives in me so that he can shine through the cracks in my pot. Because I am a cracked pot, by the way. But if God's living inside that crack pot, he's got to shine out through those cracks, doesn't he? So his call to me is to shine. And the more that pot fades away, the more the light gets out. Amen? And so in my flesh, I'm diminishing day by day by day. But inside of me, the glory of God builds every day. So this Christmas, remember, the Christmas carol is that Jesus always has been, always will be, but he put on flesh and dwelt among us that so we could behold his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he did that so you could be saved and know him and that you could tell other people how they could know him.